Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew. It's October 11th, 2017. What are you into? Based on something you suggested to me a couple episodes back, I am watching Big Mouth on Netflix, and it is phenomenal. So you know this, but I don't know that the folks listening to this will know it. Um, other than it's just an annoying banner when they load up Netflix of what looks like a bad cartoon, which Netflix is lousy with. Um, but Big Mouth is a cartoon primarily by Nick Kroll and John Mulaney about tweens going through puberty, uh, accompanied by <laughs> a hormone monster played by Will Arnett. And it is filthy. And just like totally upfront about like, yeah, these kids are 13, but they've got boners and they're having their first periods and they're trying to like make sense of that and deal with it. And the way the hormone monster is like egging them on to just be like shitty little puberty monsters is phenomenal. It's really, really well done. Not only is it very, very funny, like you would expect from the folks involved, but also kind of groundbreaking in the way that it like it's like it is dealing with you know the very real thing of you know preteens and tweens going going through this you know kind of all the challenges of puberty and the sexual ambiguity that goes along with it um and it's handling that in a like just like totally open and honest way and it's really weird because it's like you're watching it and you're like holy shit i have never seen a show like deal with this in such a like blunt uh, and realistic way, but also be super duper funny. So I'm three episodes in and I'm enjoying it a hell of a lot. That's cool. I, uh, Shay and I finished watching, commu- the, we were watching community last night and she's like, well, let's watch something else. And I had my finger like hovering over the button and I was just like, uh, I might need to like <laughs> warm me up to this one first. <laughs> it's, it's really good. I, I recommend it. Um, Karen's enjoying it. She she watched the first three episodes as well, and she's enjoying it too. So okay, well, that's good to know. I wasn't sure it was gonna be like too far into the filthy crass no, territory because it's not. I, I wouldn't even call it crass. Like it's just like honestly, like these are conversations you had with your friends when you were this age about puberty. Like it's not, and it's not like kind of like over the top, intentionally offensive the way South Park can be. It's really just like. No, this is a funny show set during a very awkward time in people's lives. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I will check that out then. So tonight, we're going to talk about Blade Runner. 2049. Yes, we are. And the other one, too. Yes, the other one. We both got a chance to see this movie uh, um, in the last couple days, so we're going to talk about it. But first, some news. News. (laughs) The big one... uh, for all us nerds out there to ramp up, is that there was a new Last Jedi trailer. Yeah. What did you think? So, Wait, I first, like... How many times How many times did you watch it? Surprisingly, I've only probably watched it, like, maybe five times. <laughs> Which is low for you. Which is low for me. Uh, and, and I'm not sure because I, I liked it. However, something feels off here, and I just don't know what it is. Hmm. I think maybe it's, like, my... I'm putting a lot of stock in this movie. Like a lot of my hopes and dreams are on this movie for Star Wars, I think. Because to me, if they can't get this right, then I think we're just going to be sort of on the track of not bad Star Wars movies. I don't think we've gotten a bad Star Wars movie in the the most recent two Disney-helmed creations. But maybe just like not what I would want, 
you know, mm -hmm. the rest of my life. And I feel like that's what we're going to get if this is also just a, it was pretty good. Uh, I want it to be amazing. And yeah. I just, I'm not sure. And like, I know they're doing a lot of like misdirection in the trailer. And like, so I think they're trying to purposely hide the story, which is good. Um, there's some stuff that looks really cool. I'm excited for more space battles. I like space battles. That's my favorite part of Star Wars. Uh, especially if they're cool and have cool ships and capital ships and stuff. And, you know, it looks like there's some, I mean, everything I saw of Mark Hamill and that stuff looks great. I mean, he, it's just, it's just cool, but it's Luke Skywalker, man. Yeah. It's freaking old man, Luke Skywalker. And it's awesome. But I don't know. I, and I can't say that people are like, Oh, I hate the pork. So I was like, eh, I don't really care about that. Like I just can't, I can't put my finger on it. So what do you think? So, you know, now that you mention it, there is something about it. And I think, and you can tell me if I'm honing in on, on the, what you're, the problem you're having is, okay, so do you know when like, and this is a popular thing you see on YouTube where people like recut old trailers to make them look like new things. Like, oh, we edited, you know, Mary Poppins to make it look like a trailer for a horror movie, you know? Yeah. And it's things you recognized, recognized, but they're like put together in a new style. This and I'm just talking about the, the trailer, it feels like I'm looking at clips from a Star Wars movie that have been, like, edited into a very modern movie trailer. Do you know what I mean? I, I think you're honing in on it, yeah. Or, like, you can tell, like, it's so, it's doing, trying misdirection so much, you can tell that it's just, like, a fan-made, almost like, you always take a fan-made trailer, a re-edited trailer, where, like, I know this stuff doesn't go together. Yeah. It's and implying it's something maybe, it's not, but I don't know. Maybe the cuts are too fast or it just feels too... So maybe, you know, thinking about the trailers for The Force Awakens, it really played on your, like, Star Wars nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Whereas this just feels... It feels more like a, just a, a normal kind of mediocre modern movie trailer that happens to have Star Wars clips in it. It's just... It's weird. Or it's like... It's like bringing a nice dinner from a proper restaurant, but eating it in the dining room in McDonald's. Like, it's like, it's still, though it's still here, it's still good. I just feel like it's been somehow brought to me in a strange way. Um, that's a good way to put it. It feels like, like each individual clip or thing that's happening, I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. I like that. I'm down with that. But then the way it was all put together, the way it was packaged, I didn't so much care for. So maybe it's more of a trailer construction thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if that's it. But um, I, I, I walked away with the same thing. It just doesn't feel totally Star Wars-y in the way that the trailers for Force Awakens and even Rogue One did to a certain extent. Um, but naturally, I'm going to see this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't need to put out trailers. You don't need to do this. Just sell me the ticket and I will be there. Um, I'm excited for it. I, I am I'm starting to get the Star Wars fever, even if, you know, I'm looking on this one with a little bit of skepticism. Uh, but, yeah, man, I can't wait to see Luke Skywalker again, honestly. I know that sounds weird, but I just can't wait to see him again. I just hope we see him off. Like, I hope he's just not, like, on that planet, and that's all we see him. Like, I want to see him get down to some Luke Skywalker shit. And I'm a little bit worried on that front because it seems like that, you know, all the footage we've seen of him seems like it's all coming from like maybe 10 minutes of movie that takes place on the planet Octo or whatever it is mm -hmm. where it just seems like it I'm worried that like he's only going to be in the first act of the movie and then you know Ray's going to go off to complete her adventure or something and like I want Luke Skywalker to be in all of this movie <laughs> 
and all of the next movie. I've waited a long time to see Luke again, and I don't want him to just kind of be like, you know, I did disappear halfway through. Yeah, I mean, especially Which, since we lost, you know, we lost Han Solo in the first movie, and, you know, it seems like Carrie Fisher's in a lot of this, which is great, but we know we're not getting her in the third movie, so, like, give yeah. us at least that one constant. And, like, I know we're trying to do a handoff to a new generation, which is good, but we just got to see Luke Skywalker being a badass. We just have yeah. to. Yeah. Yes, yes. I want to see him be more than just the wizened old wizard, uh, you know, out there on his rock who, you know, says some Zen wisdom and then, you know, f- dies like Yoda. I, that's really what I hope doesn't happen here, that they don't Yoda him. Uh, I actually want to, you know, give him, you know, I want to see him in action, but that's a little bit petty. But I also want him to be a, like, important character in the story, not just the person who teaches Ray how to be more powerful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> not a not Yoda. Just, not yeah, a Yoda. Not a Yoda, not an NPC that she goes to to unlock some parts of her skill tree. Like, <laughs> I want him to be, actually be a party member. I agree. So hopefully, you know, we're T minus, what, two, two, three months here? I can do math. Two months and four days. Two months and four days. So, I mean, we don't have that long to wait. So hopefully... Hopefully, I just, like I said, if this goes madly, then <laughs> I'm I'm concerned for the future of Star Wars and very sad. And it'll make my upcoming, well, I guess I won't probably well, do beforehand, but there will be extra scathe in my old EU explanation if this goes sourly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to um, a couple bits of weird, more kind of industry news. So this one's a little bit... Because we've talked a little bit about how Disney is is moving the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies, presumably, over from Netflix and wherever else they happen to be streaming. They're moving them over to their Disney XD streaming platform, their proprietary subscription-based platform. And we were kind of lamenting that and like, well, is this where things are going that instead of, you know, I'm going to buy, you know, different studios and have access to them. But, but that's for streaming. Um, and interestingly enough, Disney has been – apparently has been in negotiation with Fox and Universal. And apparently they have an agreement and other studios have been a part of conversations but might not be a part of this little weird little consortium yet. But they're kind of teaming up to create what what's called like a movie locker service. So – and stuff like this kind of already exists. And Ultraviolet is kind of the the leader in it. So, like, when you buy a DVD or a Blu-ray or what have you, and it's got a, you know, digital copy available, and you, like, it gives you a code that you enter in, and now you have a copy you can watch on your computer as well. Um, so Ultraviolet is kind of the locker with the idea that you can either, you know, buy a disc at brick and mortar or buy a, um, buy a digital copy of the movie through a various you know online retailers but then because it's ultraviolet it's more platform agnostic so you can watch it through a bunch of different apps or from a bunch of different pieces of hardware um rather than kind of the way it works with streaming which is you've got some things over here on netflix and some things over there on hulu and some things on amazon this is an attempt to kind of unify those things so that is ultraviolet and that has existed for a while um but and most of the major studios are, you know, part of that ecosystem, except of course Disney, who had their own little um, movie locker that you know 
interfaced with iTunes and I think with Amazon. So your Disney movies would sit in the same library as, you know, your other things that you bought from other services. But, um, but apparently Disney and Universal and Fox, they have made an agreement to have one big, you know, kind of movie locker library, um, where all of these things are, are coming together. And, you know, those are some of the really big studios and, and I think the idea that can, the, at least the consumer facing idea is that, um, all of my movies that I have bought are available on all my devices, regardless of what app I happen to be running. Um, and it should be all very easy to access and regardless of what studio actually sold me the content. So I guess, I guess that sounds okay. I mean, really what this is, is, you know, the, the, the movies, Disney wants to sell you their movies directly, right? They don't want to sell them to you through the iTunes store because then Apple takes a cut of the $14.99 or whatever. Disney wants to sell it directly. Fox wants to sell it directly. Um, so that's why that's what they get out of this deal. And supposedly what we, the consumers get is all of your stuff in one place. But I guess my question to you is, is that enough to get you into the idea of like actually buying digital movies versus just hoping they're available on whatever streaming platform or paying $4.99 to rent them through one of these services? I mean, or maybe going some shadier routes to watch things like it, what would it take for you, Andrew, to like start buying digital movies to own forever? So I'm a bad example, probably, because <laughs> I, I tend towards shady directions against better judgment sometimes. Um, part also because I don't really rewatch movies a whole lot. Um, I'm kind of up on the, I'm always, I'm one of those, I'm a trend chaser. You know, I want to watch the new, the big new stuff. I mean, there's some shows that are go-tos, you know, we're sitting around the couch, throw on Parks and Rec again, sure. But like movies are not ten, things I tend to rewatch very often. Um <clears throat> The exception being when I went to Egypt. I was in Egypt for a month, and I only had brought with me the first two seasons of Community and Avengers. <laughs> and I had a lot of downtime, and I ended up watching Avengers like seven times. Um, and the first two seasons of Community three times. <laughs> Good God, man. Um, there's not a lot to do when it's like 120 degrees out, and you're you know, in a single room with air conditioning and no Wi-Fi. It's just like, well, yeah. this is what I got. <laughs> um, so I couldn't sleep ever, so that was the hard part of it, too. Anyway, um, I, this is interesting because there's a lot of people who still like to own and buy things. I mean, I still like to have my own music. It may not be always bought, but <laughs> I still like to have it in my possession and not have to worry about having Wi-Fi or like having to make sure I set up my, you know, download the local beforehand or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's different because it's music and I'm usually doing it in a mobile way. Like I don't need to have this kind of stuff necessarily available to me at like any moment. There's not... A lot of times where I'm like, oh, I really feel like watching this movie at work or on a walk. You know what I mean? Where music's kind yeah. of a little different. So, I mean, it sounds like a step in the right direction. Oh, I think they're going to have a hard time integrating and getting agreements from people who are, you know, already invested in other platforms and cloud areas like Amazon or yeah. Apple, especially Apple. God, well, Apple will never do this. Or even like Google and things like that. I just, I don't think they want to do this kind of stuff because once again, you said they, they lose a cut potentially. And then you run into the problem of, so like what we see right now is that Fox is migrating their back catalog of television shows from Netflix to Hulu, yeah. which means 
Um, you can't watch Futurama on Netflix anymore. Well, actually, you can. You can watch the Comedy Central seasons on Netflix. So, like, seasons season 7 through 10. But the first six seasons of Futurama have gone to Hulu. And this happens all the time as rights expire and contracts aren't renewed. You know, and there was a big kerfuffle a couple weeks back of, you know, um, 30 Rock wasn't getting renewed to Netflix and, and then showed up on Hulu. Surprise, surprise. But so you wonder, like, this big consortium that they've all agreed to do. What happens, you know, 18 months from now when Fox, you know, Fox Entertainment has a new CEO and decides that they don't like this anymore. But I've already bought these things. And they yeah. want to pull it out of the cloud locker. And how's that going to go? It's, it's along the same lines that we were talking about a couple of weeks back about your magic situation, right? It's a very similar thing where it's like, well, I own these things, but how do I access them? And like, will they carry over to the next service? And when whatever is after 4K or, yeah, you know, or it does it convert to 4K if I own, do I own this specific, co- it gets down, you know, start getting in the weeds of like, what is owning a piece of digital thing? And like, right. Is copying it okay? Like, how many people can be watching it at the same time? Like, there's a lot of details that I think would matter for this sort of thing. Like, right. And the things that I think that, especially with streaming, there seems like, you know, and we're still in the Wild West a lot of this. I mean, most people are not in the cloud. Most people are still going and buying DVDs or renting them through Redbox or whatever. I mean, the majority of America probably still does that. That's going to change in the next 10 years. And who knows what else will be available. But uh, I don't think it'd be enough for me to do it. But like I said, maybe I'm a bad example. I think that there's some people who the problem with this sort of thing is that like it requires a certain level of tech savvy and a certain level of tech infrastructure to be able to like support this and use this unless it's super user friendly. Like having a Chromecast on Netflix makes it really easy to do what you want to do, especially as more and more things get Chromecast support, Uh, you know, although my mom still can't seem to get it. Um, But like for, you know, your average 40 plus year old person to like, all right, well, I've got this cloud system and now I can access it here, but I have to make sure I have this app set up and make sure I have a device yeah. that can run this app. Like that's just a lot to have to get there. And I think our generation will kind of just have that already kind of established. But I think that for an older generation, that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So on the subject of streaming and, and studios and these streaming outlets starting to become studios, um, Apple has been threatening to, you know, kind of become a content provider for some time. And so far, all they've really had to show for it is like some dumb like reality contest about designing an app. And I think like Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cards with Coffee like series is coming to like Apple's going to produce a couple episodes of that. But it was announced this week that I think this is probably their first really big move. Um, They are bringing back the Amazing Stories series, which was... Something that Steven Spielberg kind of, well, he attached his name to it. And it was like early 90s. And it was an anthology show that kind of like the Twilight Zone, but not all like spooky sci-fi social commentary the way that Twilight Zone generally was. It was a little bit more, it had that more of that Spielberg sense of wonder and um, kind of indiana jones style optimism i remember watching it but i only remember one actual episode (laughs) and i remember watching it in delaware so this would have been this would have been 1992 at the latest i was Um, three so all right (laughs) i don't remember that i've never heard of this before so this is this is news to me 
But anyway, I mean, I think it's interesting because we've talked about, you know, the kind of the return of the anthology series. And I think that Black Mirror has, um, you know, proven out that business model. But so Apple's got this series and it's going to be exclusive to, you know, their, their, you know, streaming or I guess ownership platform. Um, But interestingly, they've announced that there will be a $5 million budget per episode. That's a lot. (laughs) Yes, that is a staggering amount of money. Uh, And uh, just for, for now, now I realize that, you know, inflation is a thing. And these are, you know, going to be sci-fi, horror, fantasy, thriller type things, which require, you know, a little bit more in the way of production. But uh, Rocky was made for $1 million. (laughs) The entire Rocky movie was $1 million. This is... Five million per episode of a program that is only going to be viewable on um, through iTunes or Apple TV or iPad or iPhone. Like that's pretty staggering. And isn't like isn't like the average Game of Thrones episodes like ten ish, ten million? Am I wrong about I that? I think that's what they're approaching for the final season. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah. this is this is cool. I mean, I'm gonna be forced to take shady routes to get this because I don't own an apple product besides my ipod i mean i guess like i guess i could buy it on itunes and port it to my ipod video and watch it on my ipod video and like well, you could watch it on your computer i guess i could but that would involve giving apple a cut or anything but anyway um <clears throat> this is interesting and it's part of a trend that i really was going to wanted to bring up this week anyway which is like we talked about it before but like and we sort of said like i think anthologies are going to make a comeback here in the next as opposed, you know, as opposed to these big cinematic, everything's tied together. Although I have a theory about that too. Um, we are really entering a new renaissance of anthology shows because not mm-hmm. only we're getting this, we're getting uh, the Amazon's Philip K. Dick's Electric Sheep Electric anthology. Dreams. Electric Dreams. Sorry, um, Electric Sheep. You're getting ahead of yourself. I know. I, I know. Territory. I know. <laughs> uh, sorry. You know, territory and and or show. And this is, I mean, that's another expensive anthology show. You know, yeah. with, about sci-fi, and I would not be. I mean, we're getting more Black Mirror. That's continually popular, and I think increasing in popularity. Like more and more people, I can tell at work are mm-hmm. like, "Oh, have you heard about that Black Mirror show?" You know, uh, and I think that the the streaming for some reason that it's like the you know, being on streaming, it, like it makes for a it's a better venue, I guess you could say almost, which is weird because it almost fits. Anthology almost fits better on old TV because. You don't need to binge. You don't need to watch an order. You can watch any one you want. But just being able to pick out individual episodes and watch them or and I think people are, are hungry for different things and like to see different takes on things. And I just think yeah. it's, the, it's the right time. I do have a theory that I think that this is going to wrap around and we're going to get anthologies that build into shared universes and things like that. But well, so I, I mean, I do think that there is people are getting a little exhausted of all of the expanded universes and how many shows do I have to follow and keep up with and all that thing and stuff. And, you know, there is something to be said for a self-contained experience that, you know, I think people are, are hungry for, um, in terms of anthologies that kind of build on each other into a shared universe. Um, American horror story has been playing with this. Um, I have not watched much of the new season of that show. I watched the first two episodes and I am really struggling to find the will to watch the third because, but 
they are starting to, and that show really started out as like each season is going to be its own story, its own setting. We're going to, you know, have actors come back and we're just going to play with some of the same themes and ideas, but it's going to be all self-contained. But then around like season four, they started to hint that maybe these things are connected and maybe these things are taking place, you know, they're taking place in different time periods, but maybe they're all taking place, you know, in the same world. And so they've been playing with that. And I think that's that's going to be the inevitable swing. You're right. Like, because people are going to, as we go to more anthology, people are going to be like, yeah, I like these, you know, I like these one-offs, but man, I wish there was something I could grab onto and follow week to week. And yeah, the question is, which one of these is going to be the first one to say like, oh, season five, it's going to be one long story. Are you ready for this television event? <laughs> well, I think there's also room for, and Tri Broker has said um, for Black Mirror that they're entertaining the idea of revisiting settings. Mm-hmm. Like I know there's talk about doing like a sequel to San Junipero um, and some other ones, which I think could be a cool sort of way to come at this different direction, right? Like make an anthology series that some of the things tie together and there'd be some indicator for you, for you to know that, but still have, still mix in, you know, I, I guess I think the problem with that is eventually the popular ones become the dominant and people just want to see what's going to happen next in world X, you know? Yeah. But I, I do think some other predictions here, I mean, I think they're already make. I feel like I read they're already going to make, they're re- working on remaking an Are You Afraid of the Dark series. <laughs> um, if not, that's going to happen too, I guarantee you. And I would not be surprised if you see a, another attempt at a Twilight Zone in the next three years. Yeah, I think the question is, is going to be, if, if I'm in charge of rebooting the Twilight Zone, how do I do the Twilight Zone that isn't just Black Mirror? Yeah, that is the big question. Um <laughs> I think that there's, you know, not every Twilight Zone was like sci-fi or speculative fiction. So there's probably space in there for maybe almost more go like the sort of surreal, supernatural horror route that some Twilight Zone had, you mm-hmm. know, almost like, and you can do some more, like I said, more social commentary, like almost like a get out, but in anthology form. I think you can maybe see on a, on a, on a good Twilight Zone, like Black Mirror still rubs against that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Black Mirror is, <clears throat> it's the Twilight Zone if... Yeah, technology is always one of the like you know every story in it in in it in a way is about technology or technology is the hook, um, and so you'd have to say okay well we're gonna do in order to be not Black Mirror we're gonna have to say like okay we're gonna do the same thing but this episode's gonna be about race this episode's gonna be about class this episode's gonna be about religion you know um, I guess it's possible but. I also think that uh, one area that I think will be, I think someone's going to try it. I'd be curious how they do it is, you know, people are still trying to trying to catch the Game of Thrones, you know, fever, trying to, to build on that and do fantasy. And do you think there's space for a fantasy anthology? I'm. That's the tricky thing, because how do you separate the fantasy genre from big sweeping stories? Yeah, that was, you know, my, I, that was my concern. I think it could be interesting to do an anthology show that all takes place within, you know, one kind of fantasy period, like the run-up to a war. And this episode is just about this farmer and how he's dealing with all of it. And this episode is about, you know, a 
armorer and how he's you know and, and what what this all means for his life um that could be interesting but it's going to be real tricky i think that another route like, yeah that'd be a good route to go is something along those lines or even like we you know they're trying to work on a game of thrones you know spinoffs or whatever like do an anthology series set in a universe so it all takes place in the same thing but you're getting mm-hmm. different times different characters different stories maybe do some like you know, we kind of did that before talked about like some sequel anthology episodes you know two-parters or whatever whatever you need to do to sort of tell a story you want maybe there's some you know construction going on maybe you use that as like a just like people do in books you know you have your game of thrones series and you have an anthology book series that you know of all his short stories that run through you know something along those lines might work you pick a really rich universe that has a lot of legs and and a lot of room it could be interesting i mean actually i think if if i have to if I have to suffer a Game of Thrones prequel series, I think what I'd much rather see than like, rather than like 10 episodes about the Doom of Valyria, I would really like to see, so this is, we're going to, we're going to cover a thousand years of history, we're, but we're just going to cover 10 important events in Westeros history that could be separated by a hundred years. Like this episode is going to be the Dance of Dragons. Um, this episode is going to be um, the tragedy at Summerhall. Like, it's just going to be like, and, you know, you do cool things. Like, you would, you know, you'd always see, like, the Titan of Bravos is a little bit more built up in this one. You know, it's, it's dumb stuff like that. But, like, um, so it's still an anthology, but you're still kind of building towards something. And you could kind of run some themes, weave some themes through it. But, yeah, I think it's, I think that's a cool idea. I would like to watch that. So, uh, you heard it here first. Age of Anthology is on us. <laughs> Thank God. I'm tired of I'm tired of superheroes and expanded universes. I'm so <laughs> tired. Uh, one more thing I'm tired of before we start talking about Blade Runner is Rick and Morty fans. I am tired of them. They're the officially the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was reading a post on Reddit today on the Rick and Morty subreddit that was like some moderate. She's like, everybody stop. <laughs> Get out. Like, just leave. Like, this, just- I mean, this Szechuan sauce debacle, man. Like, first of all, and a lot of ink has been spilled about how the dummies who went out and got all obsessed with Szechuan sauce, they completely missed the point of that episode of how that's that that that's the joke is that it's completely meaningless and stupid and a complete misdirect and you shouldn't care that much about it because no one does and then to go out and care that much about it because you don't understand that this the story the episode is trying to tell you so it just becomes more and more apparent with each rash of ricky rick and morty fan nonsense that these guys just they don't understand the show and that that the whole point of the show is is not about how smart you think you are it's about how you treat people and rick is the villain and morty is the hero and these dummies went and just made a bunch of mcdonald's employees lives absolutely miserable for a couple hours on a saturday so they could you know pretend to be rick for a minute and just fuck these idiots i mean i agree with you however i do think that mcdonald's dropped the ball, didn't do their market research on the amount of demand you need on something like this, but... Well, yes, yes. I mean, they they, they clearly, um, 
you know, there were some marketing people sitting around in a room and saying, we can't wait too long on this. We want to do this thing when the show's like kind of still on. We don't want to wait until, you know, they probably talked to supply chain, like, when can we get this stuff back at stores? And they were like, mm, probably December. And I'm like, well, we can't do that. You know, that's too late. Interest will be down and we won't be able to make a big splash about it. So what if we just did a limited run and... I get that and that they only had, you know, they probably only had so many ounces of this stuff that they could get out there. But then what they should have done is they should have made it a contest mm-hmm. where, you know, you know, buy a Big Mac and text your phone to this thing and be entered into a drawing to win one of 40 bottles of Szechuan sauce before anybody else can get it. That would have been the right way to do this or something like that rather than be like, I don't know, we gave like 20 packets to each store and only some stores and (laughs) a lot of them don't even know what's going on. That would have been the right way to do this. And you would get more of a splash and you could find a way to use to drive traffic to the stores as well. But this was, I mean, 80% of the, well, no, the truth is that all of the blame here rests on the Rick and Morty fans who made idiots of themselves because... Look, a company made a bad call about how much, you know, flavored corn syrup to press out to its stores. <laughs> and then a bunch of adult ass people decided to make a fucking scene about it. You are correct. All right. Well, let's talk about Blade Runner. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Which is what we came here for. All right. So <clears throat> on Monday, I watched, uh, I had seen Blade Runner. I believe I had watched the final cut, like when it first came out, maybe in 2007 or eight, whenever that was with some friends. And I was kind of like, I'm bored. I don't really get it. I'm bored. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Before I see this movie, I, I, I need to refresh myself. And also I should give this another shot. Um, so I want to talk briefly about my reactions to the original Blade Runner. That, Like I said, I watched the final cut, which is from what I could tell everyone says is the one to watch. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So there's a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, performances are pretty good. The mood is good. The cinematography is cool. The effects are really awesome. The world they built is really neat. The soundtrack is cool. The soundtrack is cool. Although there's some weird, like, like, like weird, just like audio cues that just like, don't do any. I'm like, oh, something's about to happen. It's like, nope, just a random (laughs) shrill in the, you know, the audio track. But that, that aside, really cool soundtrack. Um, obviously you can feel the really like, you know, very popular 80s nostalgia sound like, yeah, this is it. Um, it's the 80s. Uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> I can't help but feel that it has a this thing that I call weird for weird sake. And it's, you know, it's stuff that I think people analyze like deep symbolism and like what was the director trying to intend by putting this thing in the movie. And like, it's possible I'm just really dumb and don't get it. But other times I'm like, they're just being weird to be weird. And that doesn't <laughs> appeal to me. I've never gotten that, like, I just never got, like, I, I, it's, like I said, I've always just assumed I'm just too dumb to get it, but it's just, like, there's just a lot of this movie, it's like, I don't understand why you did that. Example, like, when, um, it's a scene where Pris, the second mm-hmm. girl, the one with, like, twists the black on her eyes and the weird mm-hmm. wig and stuff, like, we're, like, zoomed in on her face and she's just making funny faces, I'm just like, why are you doing this? There's no reason for this. It's weird. I don't get it. Why do we waste two minutes on this? So, I mean, I, I think your criticisms are fair, given your context. Um, I think Blade Runner is a relic of its time, uh, of an era of filmmaking where 
things were slower and more atmospheric and more ambiguous in a lot of ways. Um, whereas the themes and the symbolism weren't as clearly drawn as they can be today. Um, and I also think that you and, and me, I mean, when I first watched Blade Runner, I mean, I was, it came out in 1983, which is also the year that I came out. So like, I can't act like I was there like an OG. Like I saw it in like the, probably the late nineties as a teenager. And I think that my reaction was much the same. But I think it's one of those we have seen, you and I have seen so many um, sci-fi things where it's like, who's real? Who isn't? What does it even mean to be real? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be artificial? All that. Like, we've seen that done so many times that a lot of the tricks that Blade Runner plays on us, like, kind of, just kind of whiz on by. And... um it's a story that by the time you or I saw Blade Runner for the first time, it's a story we had seen a hundred times done a hundred different ways. It's like reading tale of two cities for the first time. And it's like, Oh, they're twins. Wow. Like it's like a soap opera plot. Now it's like, I, I get it. Um, I mean, I think the, the scene of Pris making funny faces, that's, you know, that's kind of pointing out that these replicants are children as much as they are grown people and um, they're in this weird state where they're technically only th four years old, but they look and feel and, 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 you know, have responses like full grown adults. And it's kind of playing with that uh, sort of thing. Um, I do think that Blade Runner is a challenging movie to watch even by eighties standards, because it is a much slower, it's, it's almost more of a European style of, uh, more subtle, more slow paced, more meditative than a lot of what it looks like, where it looks like a 1980s cyberpunk action movie, but it's really more of like a slow European detective movie. Yeah. Um, I guess there's some other stuff that more like, so like one thing I had this question in both movies, like it's like, okay, replicants are outlawed and it's just like, but are they like, or so, are we supposed to be assuming that the company's making them illegally? Like, I've been a little confused no. by this. So, essentially... Um, or just, like, that first, line of replicants are outlawed? In the first film, um, you have to look at, like... You know, the Blade Runner's job is really, like... He catches renegade slaves, runaway slaves. So, the, the replicants that he is hunting are replicants that essentially have gone rogue um have run away from their you know assigned task because that's they're essentially slaves in in this world the slaves with a four-year lifespan and occasionally um they run away um and need to be retired before they you know uh cause havoc because they are stronger and smarter than uh a typical human so um by the time we get to 2049 um, the Nexus nine models of which K is, he, he's a Nexus nine. They have a much longer lifespan, but they also are, you know, built to be much more obedient. So they don't have the problem of breaking and running away. At least that's the assumption there at the start. So, cause it, the, I looked it up, the opening credits, the opening crawl in Blade Runner says replicants were declared illegal on earth under penalty of death. Ah, uh, right. So right. they're runaway slaves and they run away back to Earth, which is what Roy Correct. and his gang did. But it's still just like, but 
he doesn't seem phased when he's in the Terrell Corp and they're like making more. It's just it's a weird sort of dynamic. Like, what? what who's illegal? Why? I mean, it's not, it's kind of a minor point in the context of both yeah. movies, but there's also just some sloppy things. Like, a I know they removed the voiceover, mm-hmm. and I think it in the editing like it shows. I mean, I, I'm I'm okay with like pensive glance, like pensive stares and meditative moments in a movie, and like. 24-9 had a lot of that, just, like, scenes of just, like, people walking, and, like, I like that sort of thing. It's it's fine. But it really just seems like there's scenes that are really just doing nothing at all, and it's like, <laughs> I could really tell that there's something missing here, and, well. you know, which is weird, because it's supposed to be added later. I don't know. It's a strange thing. Also, just sloppy things, like, you know, Deckard's asking all these questions about replicants in the beginning of the movie, and it's like, but isn't he supposed to be, like, right. the he, best is, replicant hunter-killer? information he should have, yeah. yes. <laughs> And lastly, my biggest complaint is that I think this has what I've deemed, I'm, I, this is my original terminology here, the American Psycho effect, where a movie is so well-respected and discussed mostly because of the ambiguous slash twist ending, while it's not actually that good of a movie itself. <laughs> um, you probably I disagree would, entirely. I but. would disagree. I think Blade Runner is an, is an excellent film. Um, do you like American Psycho? I do, but I wouldn't call it an excellent film. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that, and honestly, I think that, you know, all the debate about whether Deckard is or is not a replicant, again, that's missing the point. The point is that you get to the end and the, you know, the point of it is that it doesn't matter who is and who is not. And that, um, we can't tell the difference between, you know, who's a real person and who's not a fake person and who isn't. And um, th- these lines are arbitrary. And if you feel real, you maybe you are real. And that kind of the hint, there's a nice little line in 2049 that kind of says that. But Right. Um, yes. Okay. Well, those are my thoughts. But uh, like I said, there's, a lot of, there's still a lot of cool stuff in it. I, I liked it better watching it this time than I did the first time. So I'm yeah. older and more mature and wise and all those things, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I honestly think that it is not a movie for teenagers because it's too much of a slow burn, and you know, uh, it is it is a, it's a movie more for grownups who want want something to kind of wash over them and make them think and feel as opposed to just kind of going through action beats. Yeah. Also, weird like pseudo rapey scene in that, and didn't come across so well this time in modern life. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, part of this time maybe. Um, so let's, shall we talk about the new one? Yes. Do you want me to go first? So, well, so I th- I wanted to play, back when we did our reactions to Guardians of the Galaxy 2, we did a game where we tried to predict each other's, how we reacted. So I'm going to, so my prediction for you for Blade Runner 2049 is that you liked it a lot more than the original, um, especially the the way that it expanded the world and that, you got to see a little bit more of how all the different pieces fit together. Um, you're making faces. I can see you making faces and now you're throwing me off. Um, I think that your complaints would be that you maybe felt that Kay was not the most compelling uh, lead character and sometimes his motivations were a little bit unclear and, um, and, uh, maybe forced um but i would say overall you liked it better than the original but uh this is not one of your favorite movies okay so so what's your prediction for me 
my prediction was that um, that you really liked this movie, that you thought it was great, but that this interpretation has pushed Blade Runner from a weirdo art film into a more typical sci-fi movie territory, and that's your biggest complaint. And while that and while it was while that was done in a like good fashion, and there were still some things kept from the first movie that you liked, you don't like you would prefer to be weirder. <laughs> All right, so um, I would have liked. I, I mean, there's very very few things I'm gonna I'm gonna look at and say this is too weird. This is, or <laughs> like I wish this was a little. I wish this movie made more sense. Like I'm never gonna come down on the side of you know um, things are too weird. Um, but I would say that. Uh, no, I, I don't think that it became too much of a typical sci-fi action film. Okay. How about, how about, how did I do on my prediction? Uh, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> except, except I did not feel that way about K. Okay. I actually felt that through the progression of the movie and, you know, I'll get there, but I really liked Ryan Gosling's performance. I don't know yeah. what about it. Like, even though it just really interesting deadpan like mm-hmm. way of acting that made me feel like this person isn't quite human but still but isn't like beep boop i am a robot like you know what i mean like it, it was a very nuanced kind of way of acting that i think that i feel probably very hard to do yeah and i think that he was really the perfect choice for this because <clears throat> i mean a lot of times one of my and maybe this is one of his strengths or maybe this is one of his weaknesses as an, as an actor but there are a lot of times when ryan gosling looks kind of bored in his movies mm-hmm. or that like he's somewhere else. And sometimes that works because you feel like his character is somewhere else. Like he, you know, he's thinking about something else while this is happening, but there are times where it just doesn't, he just seems a little too detached. But I think in this, that is so well cast because he does that so well. And you can see over the course of the film as he becomes more engaged with yeah. what's going on around him. And that kind of mirrors his, you know, I mean, one of the plots here is he is becoming human. Yeah. Um, and I think that some of the very interesting questions are what triggers that transformation for him? Is it because he thinks he's the chosen one? Or is it because he um, he uh, he begins to doubt the system that he's serving? Or, or what is it that really starts to starts to do that or is it because he happened to be implanted with this one particular memory that was like maybe some kind of trojan horse um that kind of you know soulified him later on um but no i think he was that that casting was just perfect you know at first you're a little worried because like he's he's so pretty and he's such a like a heartthrob kind of guy and i i mean i mean i've seen him in things where you know he is not that, and he's you know he has the ability to not be that guy, but um, he was great. Yeah, so I guess I'll just run down my overall impression. So yeah, I really really like this movie, especially as someone who's really not in love with the first movie mm-hmm. um, and doesn't completely understand it. But I do think that I I capture captured what I do like about the first movie and modernized it, and then like improved upon it, and did kind of left behind the stuff that I didn't care for, like the super weirdness and you know. Just some of that, like, like I said, weird for weird sake kind of stuff. Not as not as surreal. Yeah, not as surreal. Um, it was beautifully shot. I mean, the cinematography oh my God. is it's gorgeous movie. Just this thing has stunning. this thing better win all of the fucking technical Oscars. It's so good. Um, and the sound. Yeah. Oh, it was like, so good in the theater. 
I mean, yeah, I, that that is the thing. I would I would very much recommend anyone who wants to see this movie see it in a theater, if not just for the sound system, because like, and I this is you know this is a, a weird thing, but I had to I had to get up and I try not to do this. I had to get up and use the bathroom in the middle. Oh no! Oh no! Um, it's the worst. Yeah, I, but because that movie and you don't notice it when it's happening, but it works with sound and every. You know, just this general background hum of the machines and the radiation and the rain and the wind and all of that. And then you get out there and like all of a sudden, like you can hear the, you know, you can hear the ventilation moving through the moving through the pipes around you. And like it does a thing to your ears that is amazing. And it, it just and even just the, the things they do with like like in the action scenes, like just to show you that the replicants are stronger than most people, just the sound it makes when they hit somebody. Yeah. Like that's all that, you know, uh, the director needed to do to be like, ow, holy shit. And the guns, like they sound terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like they sound like they're going to punch a hole in you the size of a softball. Like, and the, the, it doesn't just, I mean, it doesn't look like the future. It sounds like the future. And that's such a hard thing to do. And I'm not just talking about the score, which was phenomenal, um, but just the, just the general sound, the atmosphere that it makes um, is great. And you need to see it in a theater with that kind of sound system. Of course, yeah. I feel like if somebody's listening to this episode because we're spoiling the whole fucking plot, I'm really hoping... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that they already did that. But if you if you saw it on your computer like a goddamn thief, go see it in the theater now. Yeah, and um, we'll, maybe we'll make sure that we post this episode to tell people to go see the movie before they watch this, this next episode because this is a movie that I think spoilers could have a deep effect on uh, yes. your first viewing. Um, I really think that it's good on my list of things. I, I love. I it really feels like the Blade Runner world thirty years later. Yeah. I mean, there's it, it, they have technological improvement, but also some of the same aesthetics, that sort of retro futurism. And, you know, it, it made me and it also movie to your point earlier, like made me feel interested in the world in the way I first the way the first one didn't. But it just the cars look a little nicer and things are a little better, but other areas are still really shitty. And it just really felt like it didn't. I don't know. It just like it didn't. It just felt like, yeah, this is what this is what I expect to be in 30 years. There's no sometimes movies struggle with that. Like, what would it be like? And I just, it felt like it slotted right in. And they did a really clever thing with the technology where all of like the old dusty stuff, like the, like the DNA records he was looking at and that like old machine that only spoke Japanese, like that stuff is all the stuff that's left over from the original timeline not timeline but that period but then all the new stuff is very clearly this wallace technology that has its own kind of design aesthetic and is very bright and shiny and new and you really get like just through that bit of production design they really show you that like things were stagnating until this guy showed up with all kinds of new technology and it's kind of revitalizing some things like that's just so brilliantly done yeah, and, um, al- and also hints at the role of the blackout. Yeah. Which we'll talk about more then. Um, you know, I, I really love the extra layer that Joy brought to the movie. It added mm-hmm. another layer of, like, what does it mean to be, you know, real and have self and, and awareness, sentience, you know. Um, and also just, man, no one ever made you care about a, you know, a more advanced Siri than that movie, right? Yeah, and, and very interesting because you almost feel that... F- for a large part of 
their relationship that he really is going through the motions. Yeah. Like he is like, it's this weird, like double abstraction of he's just kind of following the programming of I am a, I am a, a, I am a man. A man must love a woman. I have an artificial woman because I am an artificial man. And this is just what is done. And then like you see, he actually starts to get more like emotions kind of activated later on. Um, but that's a fascinating relationship. And man, it's just the effects they made to make her work were, uh, yeah. And like fantastic as well. The, the love, like the love scene, the sex scene, what do you want to call it? Like it weirded me out, but like the effects in that were just like, this is so crazy. It was such a, I mean, it, lo- it looks so good. Like, I mean, I felt a little creeped out in the scene itself. Cause it's, you know, I mean, it's supposed Weird. to make you feel creepy, I think, but like, it's a weird scene, but it's like, the actual just like mechanics of it was just like wow this is crazy like you know the the hologram overlaying the person and like they're kind of moving in sync but sometimes not and just like kind of going back and forth between the two women it was very interesting and and while i'm on uh, that scene brings me to 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 a point is that another thing this thing does so well is that it just it just feels like philip k dick was there making this with them even though obviously like blade runner is a pretty strong departure from the original do androids dream of electric sheep and this is has nothing to do with the original works of philip k dick but like that scene just it feels like he wrote that scene like you know of this like double image of making love to two women at once but really only one but maybe not one at all um but they also did a great job um wallace with his weird eyes and how he sees through all these weird little drones yeah like that is a Philip K. Dick villain, like perfectly written. I mean, might be a little bit too much of a uh, tribute to Palmer Eldritch, kind of the villain from the Three Stigmata of Paul Palmer Eldritch, who had, I think they actually said like steel eyes. Whereas you know, but like he's this mix of like just that, like he's got his magical floating eyeball guys and that make their weird little noises. And he's got this weird Messiah complex and, Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the performances and the casting were great across the board. I mean, everyone in this movie did really well. And, you know, for the story itself, I just really liked it. Like the, the twist quote unquote, if you want to call it that was just so good. Cause I was feeling very bored by like, Oh great. He's their son. What a crazy yeah. plot line. It was just like, Oh, and it was like, oh shit like i actually really got like i was like that's awesome and you know i it just felt like fresh and just really good and another thing that felt really fresh was just just like completely go to tangent but like the fight scene at the end yeah it was a really cool fight scene like just like the, the setting and like the way it was filmed just didn't feel like oh this is the climactic fight scene of the movie right it just felt like i was a little concerned because we haven't seen denny Vianney do action yet really i mean I, I didn't see the other movie maybe besides Arrival, but there's not really any action in Arrival. No. Um, so I, I I agree. I think that it was... So there was the quick little action when he's in the junkyard and he just like wastes those dudes and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> Replicants yeah. are cool. Um, which was a, an excellent... I think an excellent bit of action directing because it was the thing that happened very, very quickly, but you could tell very... It, it told the story it needed to tell, which is that replicants are very very dangerous and our hero has no problem just offing dudes who get in his way like it it did that very succinctly but still letting you see 
all the mechanics of what was going on. So excellent work. I will say, I mean, I'm, just, I'm he can't make Dune fast enough. Oh my god! But I will say there are. I did notice a couple things um, that might be becoming some of his little hallmarks. Like I couldn't help but the scene where um, where we're meeting the girl in the bubble, who turns out to be the replicant kid, and it's a lot of like two people talking to each other through a glass wall which is kind of like half of a rival. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, Denny. All right. I, I feel like there's going to be a scene with a guild navigator in Dune where we're having a big, you know, talking to each other through the glass wall. But um, yeah, I mean, that was great. And that, and just the, um, and the symbolism of you've got these two replicants fighting while Harrison Ford is just drowning in this vehicle. And, what are they fighting for? Do either of them even know or care anymore? Um, and just the absolute like hostility of the natural environment around them and those waves and like, um, you know, that, that, that even, even, um, even as strong as these people are, like they are just absolutely at the mercy of nature. Uh, so good when at, right at the, the end, when he's fighting with love, and she says something like, I'm, did she say, maybe you heard it better than I did, I'm the last one or I'm the best one? I think she, she says, like, I'm the him. best one. Okay. And then she kisses him for some reason. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think she's just, yeah, I think it's like, she's kind of got, you know, if, if, if Jared Leto's character is, you know, Wallace, is he, if, if he's the Messiah, then she's the, you know, archangel, I guess. And she views herself yeah. as above all the other replicants because she got a name and she's special. And I think this idea of, you know, a replicant that was able to, to breed, to, to produce offspring, I think for her is a huge, like blow to her being in her eyes, the most perfect mm -hmm. replicant there, what mm -hmm. there is. Mm -hmm. Um, I, there was a brief part of me that I thought I was going to like flip my shit in a good way when they're swimming, like after they, after they like crash and he rescues Harrison Ford out of the thing and they're swimming back to like after the big fight, Mm -hmm. No, and I guess not. I guess like right before the big fight, but they're swimming back to the beach. No, I guess it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but they're swimming back to the beach, and like Harrison Ford gets out ahead of him a little bit, and then he turns around. And he's like, "Joe, Joe." And I just thought he was just gonna be dead. Like I thought that was just like that was gonna be the end of the movie. Essentially, was that he just drowned out because he took a bunch of damage and just like yeah. didn't make it, and that was gonna be the end of it. And I was like, for a while, I was just like leaning back in my seat because I th I felt this vibe like, oh, this movie's gonna get real dark in a second, but. It didn't, but, but it was, did. Well, then it got dark again. <laughs> then he died. He died like yeah. ten minutes later. <laughs> it's true, but it was it was good. So, um, honestly, it's overall, I just there's really no complaints. I mean, I just yeah, really really liked it. And I'm really sad that it's not performing very well. So actually, I know it's only just under projections at this and, point, and and I think that it was it got a lot of bad press because Friday didn't it didn't do great numbers on Friday, but then like. On Saturday and Sunday, it did as well as people were kind of expecting it to on those days. It just had a weird, rough start. I mean, I saw it. I saw a late showing, but I was it was me and one other guy in the whole in the whole theater, wow. which is great. But um, you know what? Truthfully, I don't. He's look. Denny Villeneuve is becoming one of my favorite directors, and his next project is Dune. I don't really care how well this movie does at this point. <laughs> Because well, he's already, they're already making Dune, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I mean, so a couple questions here, a couple follow-ups here. First mm -hmm. is, before you go off this topic, how does this play into the whole, like, I know it's not the point, but, like, people are still going to talk about it. Like, how does it play into the, dec is Deckard a re replicant or not? Um, 
because if 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 he is, then it would because at one point you know bring up a movie like how do you know this whole situation wasn't designed for you and you know uh, Rachel Rachel to to meet and fall in love and or not fall in love but be mathematically set up to procreate this child. Although I think it's probably an easier way to do that than the one. That yeah, he did. Uh, right. Just put him in a lab there, Terrell. Uh, easy peasy. But I mean, I think that it goes back to what I said earlier that the point is that it doesn't matter if he is or if he isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the the point is that um, the circumstances of our creation do not dictate how human we are, um, and that humanity is something more than biology. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of the theme here, and and I think the answer is so when Kay asks Deckard about the dog, he says, you know, is the dog real and. And Deckard replies something to the effect of like, why don't you ask him? Yeah. Which seems like a funny joke, but it's also kind of a commentary on that whole like, you know, why don't you ask Deckard if he's real or not? Let him tell you whether or not he's real. And that also kind of is a callback to all of the Voight Kampf tests that Deckard, you know, that from the first movie of like how to tell somebody he's a replicant, you kind of give him this test um, by asking them questions that, you know. And, you know, the answer is if, you know, is he real? Like, he'd probably tell you he is. Right. That's probably as good of an answer as any of us are going to be able to get on these questions. Yeah. Um, I also was going to say, I also really liked that we didn't see Deckard until the third act of the movie. You know, I just thought that was a good, some people complain. I saw it read some reviews and people complain about that. But it's just like, I thought it was perfect because I think that he came in right when he was supposed to and kind of ended up being the MacGuffin, you know? And yeah. I really was like, and I love Harrison Ford, but I was just like, this is the perfect amount for him to be in this movie, I yes. think. Yes, and we didn't have to, we didn't have too many instances of where you realize like, oh, this was supposed to be an action scene, but he couldn't do it. So, <laughs> you know, it was like, no, he, it was, you know, he's, it was just right. I, man, I have, the only complaint I have about this movie is that I'm not watching it right now, <laughs> that it's not just my life to live in that movie. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, I just, I was thinking about the Star Wars trailer and I was just like, can we just get, can we just get any of you to make a Star Wars movie? Cause I think that he would <laughs> do it. Like could, I could see him doing an awesome, like, you know what? I would have Denny Vinu direct the Boba Fett movie. Like no, C- because Boba Fett's underbelly. bullshit. I know, but like he can make it, if anyone can make no. it cool, like, you no. know, a, a underbelly, a Coruscant kind of thing, you know, I, I just could really see it. But anyway, I want, I want Denny Villeneuve to make my Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. That is my is my lead up to episode four, where it is this surreal kind of spiritual and emotional journey that Obi-Wan Kenobi goes on as he comes to terms with his past as a Jedi Knight and his new role in kind of watching over Luke Skywalker and coming to terms with his destiny to die at the hands of Darth Vader. That's the movie that Denny Villeneuve needs to make for Star Wars. Yeah, which is, I guess, sort of... Similar to a short story that's in that um, short story compilation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, okay, so two things, two things to discuss to follow up to this. So your favorite thing, pre- your favorite thing, prequels. So you didn't, <laughs> you didn't do your homework. I didn't. Uh, that's right. So there's there's three shorts that Denny Villeneuve had other directors direct as sort of like the marketing campaign for this, mm-hmm. um, and other. This has kind of been done before. Like Alien Covenant did some like marketing things spider-man even a little bit like 
things that were like made that weren't just trailers or clips from the movie, but like made a sort of prequel stuff or like build up to it. Um, but not, they weren't really substantive, but like, these are really cool. Uh, they are three of them. They all take place between the first Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. So between 2019 and 2049, the first in chronological order, I'm not sure what order they came out in, but it's called 2022 blackout. It's the story of the blackout, which is what they refer to a lot in the movie, which essentially wiped all records of replicants. So that's why they have to have people hunt them down. Um, it's made by, you want to take this name for me? Uh, Shinichiro Watanabe. Yeah, you're the resident weeaboo here, so no, I'm just kidding. Um, God damn it. <laughs> but better known for making Cowboy Bebop. Yes. Um, most famously known, I should say. Uh, so it's, it's an anime. It's 15 minutes long. And it's the most like most background uh, and most like content in it in one of these shorts. It's really, really cool. I really liked it. Um, it shows you sort of what happened and there's a really good call outs to the first movie and kind of set up this movie. Um, the next two were both, the other two were directed by Luke Scott, who is Ridley Scott's son, who hmm. makes movies, which I didn't know. Um, he's basically just been like, he's still up and coming. He's been doing, you know, secondary photography and stuff for, for, for different movies. But um, the second is called 2036 Nexus Dawn, and it's with Jared Leto's character, which basically where he introduces the Nexus 8 model, uh, which is, or, I think with nine, nine, sorry, Nexus nine model, which is what K is in the movie. And basically he brings a, um, replicant to, uh, some board of importance in some legal Benedict Juan is one of them and, um, shows them how these, how the new replicants actually listen to orders and hmm. don't run. Uh, it's a fine little piece sets a tone, gives some introduction to Lido's character a little bit. Uh, and the last one is probably the shortest and, like most insubstantial is called 2048 nowhere to run also by luke scott and it's a nice little backstory for sapper which is batista's character so it just kind of shows like what led to him being discovered uh in a cool cool little scene so they're really cool i will link them in the show notes they're really neat um i watched them before the movie and it was fine i did not necessary to watch they kind of yeah. fit that thing by enhancing the experience without making it mandatory which i think is the line you can walk with these and i really hope people do more of this stuff because it's really really cool yeah i'm um, gonna check them out tonight whoa uh you gonna be also gonna be able to stay up that late old man it's only 9 30 <laughs> uh the last thing i wanted to bring up you know we both like this movie there's talks of a sequel to this what do you think no 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 i i i think i don't think so i i, I think that this 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 movie and the original are about leaving things unanswered and i mean maybe in another 25 years 35 years or whatever we'll do a blade runner 2084 and it'll make more sense at that point um because there will be a new story to tell in that universe but i think that these two things are perfect as they are i don't think i don't want to see this become a franchise this is a honestly this movie is better than it has any right to be this is a <laughs> resurrection of a something that never should have had a sequel in the first place and the absolute miracle that it is that they made not only a good movie but a great movie in in that context is not something that they're gonna ha that they're gonna be able to reproduce so leave it where it lies 
you know, I'm typically a glutton for more and big and expanders, but I'm actually going to agree with you here. I just think that anything they would do that would follow this right away would feel a little bit, I think it would just fall short. And I, th I do agree with you. I think they're going to do this, like, either set it 30 years in the future again, or let's wait another 30 years and see what a Blade Runner would look like in, you know, 2045 or whatever. But, I mean, I think we're doing the right thing. I mean, it's like, if you saw this movie and you loved it, you loved the way the story was told. You loved the choices that were made. You loved the sound. You loved the visuals. Like, follow Denny Villeneuve. Like, this is what he's going to do, guys. Like, he's making Dune next. If you like this, you're going to like Dune. Like, that's your sequel to this. Yeah. You're going to get everything you want out of it. We don't, it doesn't have to be branded, like, with, oh, it's the new Blade Runner. Like, it's the new Star Wars. Like, we've got enough of that crap. It's like we talked about earlier in the show, like, let's have things be a little bit more self-contained. We don't need to have everything be a 30 year trillion dollar franchise into the, into the heat death of the universe. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that there's a time and a place for both of those things. Star Wars is a place for that to exist. Marvel is a place for that to exist. It doesn't need to be Blade Runner. Exactly. And yeah, I am so incredibly excited for Dune. I mean, yeah, man, I just, I loved both these, like, I love this movie and Arrival so much. I just, they're just so, such a good, and I, I think that, you know, referencing what we're talking about earlier episode of the news, like, we are in peak sci-fi terror. Like, we are at a, a new renaissance of sci-fi, I really feel like, at all levels, you know, because we're, mm -hmm. we, we kind of got into the space, you know, science fantasy, the, the space fantasy side of things pretty hard for a while, but I think we're getting back into that, like, really good speculative side of science mm -hmm. fiction, and I'm just really excited that there's so much stuff, and there's so much stuff, I can't even watch it all. That's yeah. how good it is right now, you know? So just good. I'm just I'm just excited. I'm happy. This is great. <laughs> All right. Well, we ended this one on a high note. Um, so quickly, do you have anything to recommend recommend other than, you know, repeated watchings of Blade Runner 2049 in a theater? Just that and and watch the shorts. The shorts are cool. Yeah. And I guess my recommendation um is again, uh go see this movie again in the theater. Um, and you know, let's stay tuned for Dune because man, that I am at this point, I am much more excited about Dune than I am for the next two Star Wars movies. Yeah. I mean, and if my movie pass comes in the next, like, well, this is still in the theaters. Like I'm definitely going to go see it again because my yeah. thing still hasn't come and I paid full price for this movie and I'm really upset about it. <laughs> and I think this is going to be the kind of movie that's going to reward repeated viewings because now, you know, you know, it, it's. Because it's it it follows the same pattern as a mystery movie or a film noir, and those are a little different when you know how they end. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, guy. Well, um, I think that's all we have for tonight. I uh, hope you have a good week. You too. <laughs>